is that uh, any word that we present to you, not only will it be personally speaking strongly to us within the last few days, within the last time period since we last spoke to you, but it's also got to be sound in the word. Like Apelles, who was tested and approved in God's word, we want to be tested and approved. So what you're going to hear today is we're going to take each major section of the Bible, law, prophets, writing in both the older and the newer testament. We're going to try to show you in the whole counsel of God's word, this word that we've entitled unbroken bone. And I think you're going to be amazingly blessed by it. Amen. Paul told this protege, the man that he was raising up at that time in that century, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. That came from 1 Timothy 4, 15 through 16. It's our intention for you to be able to see progress in our life. We're not going to hide things that we're struggling with. We're not going to dress up our struggles. We want you to see our progress. More than that, we want you to see the way that we live our lives. We want you to be able to, to look in on our doctrine and see that it bears good fruit. Is that a good plan? In this church, we do not preach on things that don't impact us strongly, that aren't sound in the word, or that aren't being attempted in our life. That is the criteria for what we're sharing. Now, we tell you that because the message unbroken bone begins with the scripture from Hebrews 13 and verse 20. We have this on the screen formatted in our very first slide a little differently than it might be written in your Bible. And what I mean by that is the words are exactly the same, but we space them differently. We've made them say seven unique phrases for emphasis. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus to whom be glory forever and ever amen is that scripture a blessing Absolutely. can we say that it is complex that it is layered yes that there is an extraordinary number of things to be extrapolated from it the very first thing that the pastors noticed while we were talking about this today, this scripture has uniquely been on all of our hearts and minds, not just in my own family, but also in the Sutherland's family, also in the P. Rose family, also in the churches of the One Association. And because of that, we began to take a serious look at it today. The first phrase we want to highlight to you is called the God of Peace. We wrote these on a board over here. We're going to turn around for you as well. Um, and when we say God of peace, that, that concept, of course, is shalom. Shalom is closely related to order. Does that make sense to you? Y'all are familiar with that already? So when the Bible begins this passage by saying God of peace, we can't help but think that he is a God of peace. Of order. That's a comforting thing in a life that feels like it's chaos. Consider this. The God that we serve 
shows up at the very beginning of our Bible, hovering over a situation that was chaos. He injected his light into it, and the first thing that happened is that light separated darkness and light from each other, and he created order. Six days of working, one day of rest. Can you say amen for God's order? Amen. Wait, that's kind of weak. Can you all say amen? amen? There we go. There was. Hey, man, the second phrase that we see here is that who, through the blood of the eternal covenant. You know, when you start studying numbers in the Bible, you can learn a lot of different things. And it, so it just so happens that when you study out the number two, our second phrase, the number two usually deals with witness or covenants. Huh. So as we look at this, what we see in God's eternal covenant is that he has a plan. If you think back from the beginning of time, you can think back to Abraham, that God made promises to Abraham, seven in fact, that, that he is still fulfilling today. 4,000 years later that God is still fulfilling the same promises that he made then. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. It, it says something to the effect of, as we are doing this, it doesn't matter how many promises he's made. No matter how many he's made, God's promises are yes and they are amen. amen. That as he makes this, that God has got a plan. We don't have time right this minute, but you can think through the eternal nature of God's plan. Before the creation of the world, God intended and had a purpose for Jesus. And if he's got a purpose for Jesus, then he has got purpose for you and for me. That we can trust in this eternal plan. The third point is back from the dead. Everybody say back from the dead. Back from the dead. When I look within the word, I see that God's end state, the plan that he's always gaining at, is that we would receive life instead of death. And that in looking in the word, I see this, this pattern, this plan over and over again. And in it, I find hope. Everybody say hope. Hope. Does it give you hope to be able to look at someone else's situation and see life resurrect from death? Absolutely. Does it give you inspiration to see something in someone else's life that gives life from death? And then lastly, we find trust. Now, there's a, a Hebrew word for this, immuna, a Greek word, pistis. And this is trust-grounded obedience. That even unto the depths of death, Jesus was able to step down into and resurrect from so that we could have trust-grounded obedience, meaning with action and demonstrating our lives coming back from the dead. Amen. So putting these things together... I just want to hearken back to Hebrews 13 for a second. May the God of peace, that speaks to us about order. Who through the blood of the eternal covenant, that speaks to us about his eternal plan. Brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus. Man, that talks to us about hope-inspired trust. That great shepherd of the sheep. When I read the phrase shepherd of the sheep, how can I not think of leadership? Leadership is... Um, inextricably linked to this concept. One of the verses that has blessed me the most in my life goes like this. This is Genesis forty-eight fifteen. Then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. The Bible pictures God as an amazing shepherd. And the man who said that was himself a shepherd 
and his father was a shepherd, and his father's father was a shepherd. This encourages me to lean upon the leadership of the Lord. There is an order. There is a plan. There is need for hope-inspired trust. And there is good leadership in the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Do you want to be led by the Lord? Yes. As many as are led by the Lord are the sons of God. You cannot be His if you're not led by Him. But if you're led by Him, what does that mean you are? His. Amen. Amen. As we were going through this this morning, we, we determined orders, uh, you know, that we had, that we wanted to address these things. One of the amazing things at the end of our study time is we went back and we looked at them. And Pastor Eric was speaking on this order that's there, and he was speaking on leadership. You know what I think a lot about Pastor Eric's life? Is that he's a man who brings order everywhere he goes. That he has been called to be a fantastic shepherd of sheep. <laughs> Mine was to look at the plan that God has. I love looking at plans. That just excites me. I know, that's, I know that's the nerdiest thing ever. But I found great comfort in the fact that God has so planned these things out that we, we picked almost arbitrarily who would go. And as we're looking at them, we realize this next one, for instance, on number five, that God, He will equip you with every good thing. He will equip us um, my mezuzah statement, the mezuzah statement for my family talks about that we are put on this earth to help equip and empower God's people for their works of service. So as we're doing this, I, I can't help but that number five here just deals with the grace that God has put on us, that he's going to equip us with his spirit. He's going to equip us with his power, that this is something that we can have our hope placed in, is that he is equipping you. Just the, the details of your day are not just arbitrary details. They are a part of a plan that He's putting in order in your life to bring you back from the dead, to give you hope-inspired trust, to help provide leadership in your life, and to help you be prepared for exactly what He's called you to do. He is the equipper. It's fitting as it is that I might be covering topics related to <laughs> leadership and order. And that Pastor Wade might be covering topics that are related to having a plan and being prepared. <laughs> Equipping people for God's works of service. When we think of Matthew Pero, how can we not think of resurrection power? Hope-inspired trust. And then, the thing that has driven his whole life is the mezuzah statement that he has to propel people into God's presence. Having to do with the topic he's covering next, purpose. Well, we quoted for quite some time in the early parts of our church, uh, the scripture in James, that faith without works is dead altogether. And that doing his will is tantamount to having faith and demonstrating a trust in, in Jesus. When it comes to the purpose, and let's just start with, with mezuzah for the Piro household, right? To propel others into his presence. This, this isn't something that Jesus wrote in the sky or handscribed upon a wall and said, this now belongs to you. This was something that was birthed out of the process of just plainly doing his will. You know, when you pick up a fork, you're going to use it like a fork. You're going to use it in an intent and design that it was created. Well, I found the same thing at work in my life. Particularly, it's been hard or, not, or a process of discovery in knowing what that purpose is in my life and for my family and as it interacts with building the kingdom here in this church. And what I first imagined it as is like someone, I would grab them and pull them back on a slingshot. I don't know if you guys ever remember this from back in the days in college where 
you'd have this long rubber band and two guys would be on each end of it and the third would pull a, uh, the middle of it with a balloon and sling it at some unknown object, like a person. <laughs> well, that's what I imagine myself doing is that I desire and my family desires to grab whoever God puts in front of us, grab you, pull you back into the, a, a tense state with the standard of God and watch you launch forward rapidly into what God's called you to do. And what that's going to involve is as you interact with my purpose, with Wade's purpose and with Eric's purpose, is that you're going to find yourself constantly doing the will of God because it can never be found just sitting on your rear end. That takes us to the seventh thing that you see on your screen. Work in us. The thing is, is the P-Rose had to have things worked into them for that purpose to become clear. They have to have things worked into them to excel at that purpose. They are not done today. They won't be done tomorrow. It's a lifelong process. Much of what we're talking about today and where our derash will come from as we begin to explain the seventh principle there, work in us, much of it will have to do with the way in which God has been working into us in the past, is working into us presently, and will continue to work into us things that are pleasing to him. Do you know why we're preaching on that? It's exactly what he's doing in our homes. It's exactly what he's doing in our churches. This is the area of the word that has impacted us the most thoroughly, the strongest this week. And it's been hard to escape. And so we want to share that experience with you. Is that all right with you? Do, do you want to experience it like we have? Yes. Well, amen. amen. Then turn with me to Exodus 13. We're going to leave Hebrews 13 for a while. At the end of the message, we hope to come back to it. And perhaps by the end, the very same scripture will be seen in an even greater depth. Amen. Kind of a circular thing. In Genesis 13, let us begin in verse... 19. No? Exodus. That's why there is no Genesis 13, 19. Exodus 13 in verse 19. Say there when you were there. 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 Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Consider what a ludicrous promise this is. Paul makes the point that they were in Egypt for 430 years. Now, can you imagine having to go find George Washington's bones another, hundred and, another century and a half from now and carry them around? Anybody here think that's a good idea? We got names for people that go dig in graves like that. That's a strange thing. But there's a specific reason that that was so important. And as we examine that reason, notice what God must have had to work into Joseph to make that such an important thing to him. Do you want the Lord to work in you? Yes. yes. Well, amen. When we're considering that promise, the best place to do it is Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, beginning at about... There. There. Yeah, are you there yet? There. 
In Genesis 15, beginning in about verse 12. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain. Look at your neighbor and say, For certain. For certain. Not know partially. No, for certain. That's an interesting thing for God to say. Just in, think, it, just in case you thought I was talking in parables. Just in case you thought that I was speaking in half-truths. What I'm about to tell you, you can know for certain. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Is that good news or bad news? What an incredible thing. So often, we get bad news and we assume that because the news is negative, what that means for us is negative. That is a normal reaction. You know, nobody is happy to hear about hardship. This could have shaken this man to his core. But it wasn't all that was said. In verse 14, But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Consider this. He's being told that his struggle is inevitable. How do you feel when you know your struggle is inevitable? But it is. Struggle is all. Look at your neighbor and say it's inevitable. You're going to struggle. You show me a man who doesn't struggle and I will show you a man that is already compromised with the enemy beyond being a threat. Struggle is inherent to warfare. And we're at war with the enemy, so struggle is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. But you know what? It's not permanent. And that's important. Struggle is inevitable, but it's temporary. At the same time, it was told to Abraham that his descendants would be enslaved and mistreated. It was also told to him that that enslavement and that mistreatment would end. Oh, man. Anybody in the room need to know that your struggle is going to have an ending point? No, anybody in the room need to know your struggle is going to have an ending point. See, when you can look in the face of your struggle and say, I'll outlast you. When you can look in the face of your struggle and say, you're just temporary. But there is something coming. There is something good that is coming on the other side of this struggle. It does something to you. It begins to infuse a promise. See, every day that you have to face that struggle and it feels overwhelming, but you keep going because you have a promise, that promise sinks a little further into you. It starts out as something that you hear, but it, it, it doesn't just stay on your ear. It actually begins to work down inside of you. And the reason that it does is every day you have to hold it a little closer. You have to pull it a little tighter just to make it through. I mean, how many of you would like to go through terrible medical procedures with no hope of healing? You might elect not to do them if that was the case. But if you had hope of healing, if you had hope that there was, there was a, a positive outcome, You'll endure almost anything. We see it all of the time. The closer you have to pull that promise in, the further that it sinks down into you, the more we're saying that it seeps down into your bones. At the end of Joseph's life, think about what he had had to go through to hang on to his promises. 
In Genesis 50 is when he says this. Turn with me to Genesis 50. Say there when you're there. There. It's a little warm in here today. Our air conditioner is not working. But it's not as warm as India. It's not as warm as Africa. When we're looking at this in the Word, don't let our different circumstances today keep this from getting down in you. Because there's, there's a reason it's being preached. God's working something into us, and He wants to work something into you. He's going to work something into you whether you want Him to or not. The question is how good it's going to be. Amen? Amen. So y'all with me? Yes. In Genesis 50, this is where the promise comes from that we started earlier. In 24, then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How did he know that? That promise had been passed down from his grandfather to his father to him. He knew as surely as he had been exalted to be like Pharaoh in Egypt that they would one day be enslaved and mistreated. But that struggle would be temporary and on the other side of it, God would come to their aid. Is the Lord on the other side of your struggle? Is the Lord in a place in your life where you know that you can endure something like the cross, scorning its shame because of the joy set before you? Is it so inevitable in your life that it's sinking down into your very bones? Because I have the promises of God down in my bones. The reason they carried Joseph's bones where they were a symbol of his promise. When his flesh was melted away. When he was nothing but dust and bone. They could carry around those bones and it reminded them our struggle is temporary. Say it with me. Our struggle is temporary. temporary. But the promise of God lasts forever. Let that get down in your bones, saints. That will cause you to be a fortress of courage. Did you hear a message about that lately? Yes. That will cause you to rise up in your faith in a new way. Did you hear a message about that? That will cause you to look into the sharp pressings of your life as one more chance for God to save you. Did you hear a message about that? See, the Holy Spirit is speaking through various men in various ways to say one thing to you. Your struggle is temporary. But God will come to your aid. Don't you give up. Let this get down in your very bones. Amen. This caused Peter to be able to say something. In Acts 2.39, he said, This promise, this promise is for you and your children. This promise, what promise? The promise he had down in his bones. It caused Stephen to be able to say something. Stephen said in Acts 7, When the time had come for God to fulfill his promise. What promise? The promise he had down in his bones. Saints, every man of God that there has ever been could face unimaginable hardship because he had a promise down in his bones. Amen? Some of the greatest men of God that have ever lived, written about in the time period of the prophets, had extraordinary things happen in their life. As we transition to the prophets, we're going to take a look at Elisha, an incredible man of God. 
I want to start off in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 19. Because we're going to see a beginning of a story here that will impact us. We see in the word what we should be living in, and it helps us to understand what God is doing in our lives. Amen? Amen. Don't miss this point today as you're sitting here. As you're sitting here today, don't miss this point that this is a sermon that we are living as your pastors. Amen. We are living it. Our interactions with each other, our interactions with other people. We are living this sermon that we are saying, Lord, you need to get some things down into our very bones. Amen. So when we're sharing this with you, the truth is, is any one of us could have done this message today. And as a matter of fact, it's because that any one of us could have done it that we decided that all of us should do it. So that you don't hear it in a singular voice with a singular style, but you see your leadership as a church that's saying, this is what we are going through. We trust that what is going on in our lives is exactly what you need, whether we like it or not. Amen. Whether you like it or not, that God is doing something here. Let's take a look at 1 Kings 19 and verse 19. Are you there? Yes. We are there. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Uh, before we get too much further, you know, it's amazing. Even little things in the Bible speak to us. We have an oxen here. We have this beast of burden. We have this something that is supposed to remind us of strength. You know what Elisha was? Even before you know the rest of the story, we find that there is something that is in this man that is, that is unique. Elijah went and found Elisha. And you know what he was doing? He was busy getting it. He was working. <laughs> he was putting that strength to work and controlling the strength that was before him. Controlling these beasts of burden. These are not just 12 oxen. These are 12 pair, 12 team of oxen. This man is driving. He is working hard. And Elijah saw something in Elisha. You know what we want? We all want to be the Elisha. We all want to have the glory and the supernatural that happens in our life. Do you, know what, do you see where he started? He started because he was a man who was diligent to put his literal hand to the literal plow. As you keep going forward... Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. He, he threw the cloak around him. We can talk about garments, what, what the garments in our lives represent. We go all the way back to Joseph. And don't you see a garment that's involved in his story? Amen. As we go forward today, you're going to find some other garments that are there. But in this case, it's a garment, it's a cloak that, that falls upon him. We're going to see that later on, that that's actually the symbol of the transfer, right? The mantle. What did Elijah say to Elisha? Hey, look, if, you, if you're here and you see me when I go up, then you can have this incredible thing that you've asked for. You can have a double portion. Uh, how many of you know that I would never leave the side of that guy? Amen. Wherever you go, Amen. literally, I'm going to go with you. Come on, church. Think with me for a second. We all want this cloak. In 2 Kings, we see that it falls upon him and other people can see that the same thing that was on Elijah was on Elisha. But let's look at these things. Elisha then left the oxen and ran after Elijah. <laughs> it's going to take us running after the things of God. Does he say he just went, huh, cool cloak? 
He actually ran after the purposes of God. Are you running after the things of God in this place today? Amen. I don't mean just walking. I don't mean maybe barely pointed in the right direction. If you are not running after Him, then maybe you're not worthy of the cloak that was thrown upon you. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Let's go beyond just the Peshat here. He literally went and kissed his father and his mother goodbye. But let's go at something that may be hinted at in context of what our church has been dealing with for the last several months. Who is our family? Amen. Those who do the will of the, the Father. Amen. Sometimes you have to kiss some things goodbye. Amen. Sometimes you have to be parted from certain things so that it shows the Lord that you are running after Him with a passion, with a fervor. We, see, the problem is, is we don't want to kiss anything goodbye. We want to keep what we have and add God to our lives. That's a shameful thought of, for a Christian to have. It, unfortunately, it's much too normal of a thought. I, I just want to add God to what I've got. If that's your approach, then you're never run after him. No. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. Listen to this. He took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. <laughs> he gave up everything that his livelihood had been before. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat. He offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and that was his life. Now, as you go forward, and we could talk about miracle after miracle. You could see how water was healed. You can see how a widow's oil was multiplied to provide provision. You can see how the Shunammite son was restored back to life. You can see how Naaman was healed from leprosy. You can see how Elisha's servant Gehazi had the leprosy put on him because of how he was treated. You can go miracle after miracle after miracle. You can go supernatural after supernatural after supernatural. You know what God was doing through each of those? He was working the very supernatural presence of God into Elisha's bones. Amen. He was working. It was seeping down into his inner parts. We all want to have the cloak. We, hey, look at me. I've got a cloak. Do you see what God has put on me? Can you see this? But what God is after is getting things down in our bones. Amen. Is it on you or is it in you? We can have something on us because God can put it upon us. A, a great man of God may be able to lay hands on you and there's something that comes upon you. But do you have it in you? That's a huge difference here. Let's look at 2 Kings 13. Well, let's turn into 2 Kings 13. Notice something. Things were seeping into Joseph's bones because he held on to a promise while he was mistreated. Nobody's mistreating Elisha. Things are being put into his bones from adversity, from getting it right. Amen. It doesn't matter whether, whether you got something wrong and that's where the adversity is coming from or whether you got something right and that's where the adversity is coming from. God is able to work in all things for your good. Amen? Amen. Look at your neighbor say, he's working in me. He's working, he's working in, me. in me. Be patient, he's working in me. Amen. <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 13 and verse 20. Say there when you're there. 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 Elisha died and was buried. <laughs> End of the story, right? We all, we, all, we all know that there's more to this. But the Peshat here, the very plain reading of the text, Elijah's story is done. Or maybe it's not. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. Once, while some Israelites were burying a man, suddenly they saw a band of raiders. So they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. We got to get out of here. 
These guys are going to come get us. Let's just throw, whoosh, throw in the body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, because his bones had been saturated with the supernatural, because year after year and day after day and act of obedience after act of obedience, what was on him got in him. Yeah. And it changed something here. Y'all say that's a good word. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. How many people, (laughs) what are your bones going to produce? What is in you that even after you're long and gone will still produce life, will still bring people back from the dead? What is in you? Guys, don't look at the circumstances in your life and and be reticent. Don't be uh, wishing that they didn't happen to you. Embrace them. The suffering that Pastor Eric talked about, the difficulties that are there, this is to get it in your bones. <laughs> Whatever the cloak may be, and we, we would honor that. I want to have something that changes me at my skeletal level. Amen. I want to have this power of God in my very bones. Amen. You know, in this worship service, while Pastor Matthew was leading us, propelling us into the very presence of God, a young Egyptian stepped forward and said, you need to give yourself a funeral. (laughs) If you knew that the promise of God was residing in your bones, if you knew you were saturated with the supernatural, you wouldn't mind having Elijah's death because it meant resurrection life was on the other side. You wouldn't mind the adversity anymore. You'd say, I want to die every day because it means life for them. You don't mind setting aside your rights. You don't mind burning your plows. You don't mind because something's down in the core of your soul. Now, the truth is, something's down on the core of everybody's soul. It just depends on what you've been saturating yourself in. You'll know a tree by its fruit. So turn to Psalm 109. Amen. I couldn't ask for a better word that was brought forth during worship about giving yourself a funeral. Because one of the things that characterize a funeral are the burial clothes. A dead man's dress. (laughs) So what we're going to read here in Psalm 109 is really defining the dress and the clothes and the garments of what your dead man looks like. In verse 16, for he never thought of doing a kindness, but hounded to what? Death. Death, the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse May it come upon him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. I don't know about you, but whenever I was a dead man dressed in dead man clothes, I could curse better than a sailor. And I was only 15 years old. I had just gotten started. Actually, I got started when I was five. But... Started getting better when I was 15. <laughs> when we got saved, Matthew and I, we had long periods of silence because we no longer had a vocabulary to express between ourselves. We just sat and looked. Some... I don't know any other word for that. Okay, nice. <laughs> but at that point in time, uh, that's actually a great example. 
Because we went through a two-week stint where we were both lost. We were dead men ourselves. And we tried to be righteous in our own strength. And what we were doing, we were trying to put on the garment of Jesus. But what hadn't changed was the inside, inside the core of our bones and our being. So we were dead man trying to put on living clothes and hoping the exterior would work itself interior. What we didn't realize is that it goes just the other way around. Is that it's at first is birth from being born again on the inside. And that cures the issue of having curse being my garment on the outside. Mm. You know that being born again is an absolute all time cure to everything that sin poses a problem to. That even at the point of my own death, there is hope in the resurrection yeah. that we have. And that is God's plan for us. Yeah. So watch where we take this. In Psalm 105. Mm-hmm. There. There. In verse 18. Come on, where y'all at? There. I know it's Sunday and all, and y'all kind of had a late night last night because of a LCM Christmas party. <laughs> Except some of you wasn't there. All I'm saying is that the alarm is going off, and it's time to rise up. If you had seen the pants that Rob was wearing last night, you'd have a giant smile on your face today. He's holding up his award right now. Look at that. Amen. Amen. Most inspirational. Well, speaking of awards around your neck, verse 18, Psalm 105. (laughs) They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. If you read that just within the context of English, we're thinking of someone put in in these shackles. And the Peshat level of it is, is that he was just chained up. When you begin to look at this a little more deeper within the Hebrew, but more importantly, the Septuagint, which is Greek. So if you could go to that next slide that we have. This is the Septuagint, which means the Greek version of the Older Testament, Psalm 105, verse 18. And I'm just going to read the plain English that is listed next to the strong numbers here. They humbled with shackles his feet. Iron went through his soul. Come on. You know, the adversities that you face... By being a child of God, by being born again, by holding to the righteous standards that God has laid upon your shoulders and shackled around your feet are going to result in the consequence of having obstacles, trials, and sufferings. But the point of the matter is that iron needs to go through your soul. Amen. Every trial that I face, I don't know if you're like me, but I wonder... And begin to contemplate, Lord, is this my sin? Is it their sin? Or is it sin in general? What is the reason for this obstacle? And you know what? That is nearsighted and blind on my own uh, volition. That what my hope needs to be, what my inspiration needs to be, what my trust needs to be, is that God is using this to fuse iron inside of my soul. Well, what does that require? It requires you to die to yourself and the quicker that you can die to yourself the easier that your eyes can see that your ears can hear what the end goal is and that God's getting after and trying to get iron inside of your soul you know when a five-year-old falls down 
after riding a bike, it's acceptable. They're five. If a 25-year-old fell down, well, these days and ages, I, I might question that. Let's say a 30-year-old. A 30-year-old was riding a bike. He fell down, and he began to cry. Would that be a demonstration of maturity and completeness? One of the greatest scriptures that I glean from, that I see as a, the, a very clear way of iron getting in my soul, is out of James chapter 1. And he lays out the process very easily. But it begins with considerate, pure joy. My brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, um, actually, let's turn to it so I get it exactly right. Amen. Amen. One, verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Verse 4 is the iron going into our soul. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Do you want to be mature? Yes. Do you want to lack no good thing? Absolutely. Then you must persevere with what God has put in your life to fuse iron inside of your soul. You ever seen somebody on this very topic that they worked somewhere for a while and they got fired and they... It's, man, I gave my heart and my soul to this place. You ever seen a, a, a person endure something and the reverse of this process was happening? The hardship didn't make them harder in their soul in a good way. Actually, their soul went into the hardship and that's where it always dwelt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, what Pastor Matthew is teaching us is if you wear despair as a garment, It's got a way of contaminating your soul. Your your soul forever dwells in the garment of despair. But if your hardships actually get down in you in the way of perseverance, then they produce joy and completeness. Consider our king. And in John 19, let's read this. John 19 and verse 36. Say there when you were there. There. Verse 35, rather. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. Why does John testify? For you, so that you may believe. Everything John went through in his life was so that you would believe. Everything Jesus went through in his life was so that John would believe and tell you. Do you see how the gospel is supposed to carry forward? That's not our point at this moment. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a great point. Come on now, that's a good point. That's a good point, Pastor. Verse 36. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones, say bones. Bones. Not one of his bones will be broken. Before we read that next one, do you know why they're not broken? Because there was a promise in there that made them strong. There was a promise in there that if he endured the cross, on the other side of the cross was the very resurrection of the dead. He knew that if he laid down his life, he would take it back up again. No struggle was permanent in his life. It was temporary, but the blessing of God on the other side, it was permanent. That made unbreakable bones. (laughs) Oh yeah, no, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Do it again. That makes unbreakable bones. Amen. That's unbreakable bones. 
Come on now, buddy, you're working physical therapy. If somebody is a little portly, I can't even see my belly from my beard. That's one positive benefit of growing it. (laughs) If somebody's a little portly, if they get no exercise, if we put them in the space shuttle when we had one, before we had to farm out our NASA to other countries, if we were floating around in space, you know your bones actually get soft? It's a problem. Bones respond to pressure. (laughs) Bones respond to pressure. When my father was alive, he wasn't ever really alive, but while he was still in the land of the living, we put an Elizaroff fixator on his leg. An Elizaroff fixator runs rods through the center of a bone, uh, crossways. And then puts halo rings and causes the pieces of broken bones to rub together until they produce more bone. Oh, yeah, y'all don't like that, huh? If you knew what it did for you spiritually, you would. See, the only way to get unbreakable bones is to have bones put under pressure again and again and again. And they become unbreakable bones. Amen. Amen. Oh, church, when you think on this subject, when you think about bones responding to pressure, you have to ask yourself, do you want jelly down in your soul? Are you a jelly donut private? (laughs) Or do you want iron down in your bones? Amen. I can't help but think about Hebrews 7.16. Can we put that on the screen for just a minute? One who has become a priest, not on the basis of regulation as to ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. His life was indestructible because you couldn't stomp the promise out of it. You couldn't scourge it out of his back. You couldn't have enough people walk away from him to cause that promise to leave. He knew who his father was. He trusted his father's leadership and that made him an unbreakable human being. Oh, how strongly are you clinging to the word of God? Back in John 19, 36 though, the 37th verse. And another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Oh, man. Christians are measured by what we overcome. He was pierced, and yet he is alive still. See, our promises are unbroken because we are the bush that's on fire that doesn't burn up. We're the man who was pierced and yet lives again. We are crushed, but we are not broken. In the name of Jesus Christ, I have something in me that the world cannot bend, cannot break, and cannot crush. Now... The better question is, how did it get there? Well, I wasn't born into noble stock. It didn't get there by birthright. It didn't get there, as Hebrews said, as the result of some regulation. It was born of God, and it was refined as God worked into me through every trial, the need to cling to Him in a new way. I'm seeing that in my brother's lives. They're seeing it in mine. We're watching our wives start the day in praise, move to tears, struggle, hurt, 
Get back in the word. Find garments of praise and go back out and face the battle again. And they are winning. We are watching God work into the pastors of the one association the very metal that they need for the battle. The question is, do you want to be a jelly donut? Or do you want to be a man with iron down in his bones? If they had tried to break Jesus' bones, they would have failed, but he would not. I promise you that. Before we move on from this subject, I'd like to show you the kind of grit and tenacity that men of God display. Turn with me to the book of Acts. When you get to the book of Acts, find the 21st chapter. When you find the 21st chapter, discover the 12th verse. There. When we heard this, I don't like to read pronouns without you knowing who the antecedent is. It bothers me. It's just a personal pet peeve. We here is Luke. We here is Silas. We here is Timothy. We here may be Titus. It's definitely Apollos. It's definitely Agabus. The we here is a pretty amazing group. Is that an amazing group of people? Yes. Yes. Or were you hanging out with folks this morning that made Apollos look like a spiritual midget? That's a pretty amazing group of people, right? When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. You ever heard something from God and your family doesn't want you to do it because it doesn't seem wise? You ever, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You ever heard something from God and the Christians around you don't yet understand it? They don't get it like like you do, and, and, you know, you just got to fight through it. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. The promise of God seeping down into your bones will cause you to outlast your critics. The promise of God seeping down in your bones will look right at that struggle and say, I will outlast you. You will give up before I will. Your heart may break, but the promise of God down in your bones will not. Church, there is a word here for us. We are supposed to be of unbreakable bone. You're going to have to dwell in the right things. You're going to have to look at circumstances in the right way. As we move to the New Testament prophets, Pastor Wade is going to help us see circumstances in the right way. But all of this is aimed at one thing, working something into you that otherwise would not be there. This can cause you to look at a problem and go, my loving father knows exactly what it will take to work into me what is pleasing to him. And he has provided the tool, even if that's a person. Turn with me to Revelation 17. Almost. Revelation 17. I I hope you hear and I hope you sense the same Spirit of God that I'm sensing at this moment. Amen. Uh, There's a passion within our heart, not only because it's real to us, this is a visceral message. This is what we are living. But it's because we've also seen people who won't allow the work of God to seep down into their bones. 
We've seen people throw off a cloak. We've known, seen, been around people with miracles that happened in their life. And within a year, they were either dead or they had completely walked away from the Lord. They had something of, of a heavenly nature that was put upon them and they walked away from it. Because of this issue here, they would not allow the difficulties to work in them something. They had something that felt like this was unfair, that this is unright, that this is unjust. They walked around with offense. They walked around thinking, yeah, I will say with my mouth that God is completely correct, but in my heart, he's unjust to me somehow. This is something that the Lord is trying to root out in each of us. If you have a second of a thought that says, this is not right, (laughs) I I, I don't deserve this, you need to check your heart right there and realize that you are trying to not allow God's work to get all the way down into your bones. This is a dangerous place to be. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 17 and verse 17. There. 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 For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish His purpose... By agreeing to give the beast their power to rule until God's words are fulfilled. Now, I'm going to leave this on the screen just for a second, Joy. Now, we're used to seeing when God put it in their hearts, we're presuming that it's something in a positive nature. These people had so turned away from from Christ that He actually put it in their heart to fulfill His purpose, but it was on the negative end of things. Um, do you guys, are you, are you with me when I say that every knee will bow? Where's that found? Come on, somebody. Loud, Philippians 2. Loud courage. Come on, with iron in your bones. Philippians 2. Where at? Where at? All right, if you're not talking yet, understand there's three of us. Pastor Wade right. can preach while I can get to you. <laughs> I, I said I was portly. I didn't say I was dead. And, and, and it's not beyond the realm of reason that I give you the mic while we all turn to you. Where is it found? Oh, amen. Now y'all starting to get it. When we say that every knee will bow, from my heart I say, hey, I'm going to do that today. I'm going to bow before the Lord because I want him to use me. I want to, I want to have him to infuse me with his presence. I'm going to do it on purpose, willingly. You know what, though? You know what I know in my heart? Not everyone will do it willingly, but they're all going to do it. Yeah. He is that kind of a king. He is that kind of a God. You will bow before him, whether you like it or not. Whether you choose to do it willingly and openly and purely, or whether he uses you and forces you to do something. He put it in these people's hearts to help the beast in Revelation. The ultimate sign of demonic activity. And these people were used in this way. Every knee will bow. Every Every single one of us. So the question isn't whether we're going to bow before him, whether we're going to submit to him. It's how quickly we're going to do so. Because if we quickly submit to him, then he works all things out for our good. Amen. Turn to Psalm chapter 33. While you're turning... It's easy to read that about the beast and the kings. But how do you feel about criticism in your life? How do you feel about other areas where you're like, Lord, you're allowed to work into me. These things, but don't, don't you dare use that to work something into me. Because we don't have that right. We, we, we don't have that right. We all do it. That's why we're preaching about this. We would prefer 
that the Lord have just like matrix style downloaded this stuff into us. <laughs> but instead, he, he uses things in our lives that we agonize over, that hurt, that, that cause us to stay up late and get up early and to pray and to read and to struggle. And that is working into us something. We're, we're, not only are we not exempt, we're the actual example in this body of that. And we're asking you to join us in the process because we need you. We, we need you to be as developed as you can be. And God will use whatever He desires to do that. Amen. Only this, Matt says amen. amen. <laughs> That's a good word. Oh, only Matt says amen. How about you in the back, amen. Spence? You, is, there, is there an amen there? Amen. All right, how about you, Sokola? I get an amen out of that? Amen. Yeah. Is God working in, in your lives? Brandon, is the Lord working in your life? Has it all been pleasant? Yeah. No, it hadn't all been pleasant, has it? Sometimes you hear the word no when you want to hear the word yes, huh? But God is working in it, isn't he? Amen. Steph, is, is God working something into Brandon? Brandon, is God working something into Steph? Amen. See, see, it's going on all around us. Don't let the devil tell you you're alone. You're the only ones like that. Come on, Kimberly. God working in you? <laughs> Aisha, God working in you? Yeah. I don't want him to use tragedy. I don't want that. I want him, I want him to use blessing. Lord, rain sugar plums and, and, and fairy candies on, on Aisha. But he knows what he wants to use in you. Yes. Yeah? Because it's exactly what you need. Look at Aisha say, that's what you need, girl. That's what you need, girl. Mm. Now, now, hold up your hand and say, it's what I need, Lord. It's what, it's I, what need. I need, Lord. Okay. Well, he knows better than us. Uh, Quick show of hands. Past two weeks, you've gone through something that you've had to agonize over. <laughs> agonize. Now, when we studied the, the Hebrews 13 scripture, may he work in us every good thing. You know, if you click on the Strong's number for good thing, it's a derivative of agonize. That, that the association that we have to make is that every agonizing thing that we're going through is actually working in us a good thing. We, we keep meeting each other at the mailbox because we all kind of have this communal thing going on now. And it's like, hey, man, you'll never guess what the Lord's saying. No, I know what he's saying. It's hard and it's good for us, right? Stop crying. There's good things on the other. Yeah, that's exactly what he said to me this morning. Yeah, he met with me too, you know. Well, and that's why when you hear us say things like, this is the only way to do a church. That can sound like so many different things. That can sound like we're, we're, we're putting forth arrogance, that like we're putting forth, no, you need to see it in us. We make no divisions between us and you. We say, come be where we are. Come live where we live. You know why? Because then you can know that what we're preaching is true. Amen. That God has got to work it. And if we do it this way, it's because you should also do it this way. Amen. That you can, should consider your leaders and the outcome of their way of life Amen. and see that God has favored us through the difficulty, that he's putting something in spite of us, in spite of our weaknesses. And the truth is it's because of our weaknesses <laughs> that he's putting something into our bones. Amen. He's getting it down on the inside of us so that we are unbreakable. That we want you to have unbreakable bones as well. Psalm 33. I'm having a good time. I don't know if y'all are. Yeah. Verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he chose for his inheritance. 
from heaven, the Lord looks down and sees some people in nice places. <laughs> no. He sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on the earth. Everyone. Those people that, that are being used as, a, as an irritant in your life, as a thorn in your flesh, as adversity in your heart, as difficulty in your mind, the Lord sees them. And God help them if they don't repent. Because He's going to use them to work things out in you, and you're going to have unbreakable bones, and you're going to be on, and move on in righteousness, and perhaps even when you die, your bones will bring someone back to life. But for them, He sees them. He will not let it go unaccounted for. Not one action. He, can, uh, he sees all mankind from his dwelling place. He watches all who live on the earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. Come on. That's good. He considers everything we do. <laughs> everything. How does he form your heart? Now, <laughs> the Lord could just speak him. Brand new heart. But that's not how he formed a man. He took dust to the earth and he blew into it. It was a hands-on project. When he forms your heart, I promise it's him using circumstance to grip it, to shape it, to circumcise it, to squeeze it, to crush it, to inflate it again. All of those things. He forms hearts. He's forming our hearts, amen? He's forming our hearts. Amen. 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 Don't you want him to work into it what is pleasing? This should be causing in us something that wants us to turn and run towards his plan. Amen. Run towards. If if we've been walking, perhaps you've just been trotting. Perhaps you've been... The fact is, is you've got to run with all of your heart towards it because he is the one who makes... He makes hearts. He forms in us. He causes his will to be seen in us. This is an incredible... My prayer for us today is that we're not, we're not uh, thrown off by, by multiple speakers or by an air conditioner that's out because this could be pivotal. This is a pivotal day for many lives in this room. Amen. It's Amen. pivotal. This should shape the way that you think for the next day, for the next week, for the next month, for the next year, for time to come. This should shape the way you think. When there's difficulties, you should say, Amen. Amen. Amen, Lord. This Amen. is getting down into my bones. The difficulties that we've had, it's doing something in me which I thought I could do another way. I thought I had another path, but you who sees the heart of all men, it's not by, I cannot be saved by the strength of my own army, That's right. but Lord, it's by your will. So we become completely dependent upon him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Everybody go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22. Say, there when you are there. There. By faith, Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. Joseph. When his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. (laughs) You know, there's something unique in this that I see this parallel to the cost of being a disciple. And here's exactly what I mean. Whenever Jesus gave the call to be his disciple, there were three things that they had to do. 
They were to deny themselves. Say, deny myself. Deny myself. They were to take up their cross. Take up the cross. They were to follow him. Everybody say, follow him. Follow him. Now, if you're somewhat like me in these last few weeks of agony, what you want to do, if we're truthful, is that you want to bypass all three of those steps and say, Lord, I just need your resurrection power. But particularly in that moment, if you're one of the disciples standing with Jesus, and it's the deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him, your, your bones are going to be following his bones. But what is the path that his bones had to first traverse? It was more than just ministry. It was more than laying his hands on the sick and even raising the dead. He himself had to go up to the cross, be tortured, ridiculed by man, put in the grave, and die. And then that's when he would experience his resurrection power. Amen. You know what it's like to, be, have, to have iron worked into your souls? Is that it presses you. It causes you so much to deny yourself at every turn. Nope, nope, you're not good enough there. Yep, not enough effort there. Yep, you're called to be this, but it's not all within you to accomplish everything on your own. You got to consistently die to your own will and your own desires and climb upon that cross again. My sinful nature is still alive in this moment under this amount of pressure. It's got to go. And then on top of that, you have to follow Jesus in any direction that he chooses to go, even, it, even if it's the most treacherous uh, encountering moment, whether that could be a Mexico moment for you or it could be something totally different. Wherever he goes, he's asking us to follow, even if it's into the depths of the grave. How do you get deep convictions that demonstrate resurrection power? It is by constantly interacting with the working of iron into your bones by having pressure applied to your own will. On this subject, one of the things that we're working on and figuring out in our own lives, the kingdom uh, requires your struggles to be public and your successes to often be private. It requires that of us. That's good. We're struggling when our flesh doesn't want to do that. We're struggling with our brothers and how to work with them when they want to hide their failures and only publish their successes. Right. Now, it's easy when we're talking about somebody else, but one of the ways that you will know God is trying to work something into you is when you would really rather not be in this situation, not have anyone know you're in this situation. You want to tell them about it once it's all fixed. Come on. Yeah? Come on. Preach that. Now, I'm going to tell you, we've been running into this more in our congregation, the congregations of the One Association, and our overseas friends than I ever would have thought was imagined. It's like we do not want any direction ahead because we want to do what we want to do. And if it doesn't go well, we're going to hide it. If it goes well, then we're going to tell you about it. Okay? Examine your own heart. Examine your life regarding these things. We're having to look at ours yeah. and go, do I wait until everything's resolved to tell my brothers that I had a little domestic squabble? Or do I tell them in the midst of it so that I have the chance for God to work into me yeah. what needs to be there? 
See, we want to tidy things up and present the, the Facebook us to the world. And what we actually need to do is make our struggles public and our successes private. This is something that's godly and it takes an iron will from iron in your bones to do something like that. Come on, that's good. But the result is a character that the world cannot crush. Come on, somebody say amen in the house. Amen. You know, one of the things that I was contemplating on this as well, and this is a self-reflection for you. In someone's best benefit, wouldn't you see it that in order to verify that every bone in their body is in good working order, you would stress it some? And by stressing it, I may fracture it. It may completely break altogether. But the end result is that the great physician would begin to work iron in that weakness. And when it is fused back together, it is stronger than what it was before. That's true. How much more then? That's a Calvary Comer for you Acts students. How much more then will the God of all creation who formed and shaped every single one of you desire to stress every one of your bones? <laughs> you know, when guys have a, a non-physique like I do, and the upper part of their body is Don't being be sued He's by the lower beast. part of their body. Yeah. Don't be fooled by that. <laughs> that is an athletic Indian right there. No. Don't, Puerto don't Rican. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, I don't, don't you believe it. Uh, Matt's the one we send to your house if you want to fight. Wade and I are going to pray. <laughs> but the upper half of my body is being sued by the lower half of my body for non-support. <laughs> That everyone can pick out my legs from a mile away because they know exactly how skinny they are. You know, I could spend my whole life wearing baggy jeans and working out just my upper body to give the overall impression of how built I may appear. But it's not until weight is put on my shoulders and I have to endure carrying that weight on my shoulders till you really know what my legs are made of. What weight has God put on your shoulders? And no matter how much you ask for it to be taken away, I don't know, maybe three times, much like the Garden of Gethsemane being pressed. And in that pressing, you come to the same conclusion that Jesus did of not my will, but your will be done. And in that moment, you find that iron will to then go and endure the cross, scorning at shame. So that your bones you want to carry around. Those are the, you get a chance to carry around bones every day. God gave them to you. They're in that sack of flesh right now. <laughs> you, you get a chance right now to carry around that kind of power, that kind of strength. You get a chance right now to be so infused with the supernatural right now yeah. that if your body was dead and gone, your bones would still speak a message. Amen. Church, right now, your bones can speak a message of faith right now. We have a chance to look into the face of adversity and say, I'm carrying my bones out of Egypt. You're temporary. This is permanent. I'm taking them out. Come on. You know what bones we leave behind, though? We leave behind the bones of the dead man. (laughs) Those old bones we leave in Egypt. But the bones of promise we pick up and carry with us. I might even look at a few and say, live. (laughs) I wasn't always alive. But I sure am now. Amen. The word of God can enter your bones in a way that it brings life and they're unbreakable. Amen. Are you being encouraged by the word and by the spirit today? Yes. 
We have talked to you from the law, the prophets, and the writings in both Older and Newer Testament. We've shared with you both the direct, clear statement in the Word, the Peshat. We've shown you some things that have been hinted at. We've shown it to you across the Scriptures and compared it to you. And we've given you the revelation that God has given to us. Would you turn to Philippians chapter 2 with me? There's a reason that you don't see a team of men who preach on a stage often. There's a reason. Because then you're having to share what other men would call glory. We don't want any of it. No. We don't want any of it. What we want to do is our heart's desire is to see us as a church, to see you impact, to see you walk with the strength inside of your bones that causes generations to change before you. This is what we are working towards. And Philippians 2 helps us to understand this. In verse 12, Philippians 2, 12 says this, Therefore, my dear friends, I say this to you under the inspiration of the Lord today. I know this was written many, many years ago. But I say, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Not the kind of trembling that makes us turn around, but that kind of trembling that says it's under the weight, it's being pressed, and it's standing there, and you're going to work it out, and the load is heavy, but you will persevere. You will set your mind and your heart and your will and your emotions to only success, to only obedience with what He has. And you will stand there, and you will continue to work it out with fear of who He is, and even trembling beneath the weight. For it is God who works in you. It is God who works in you. Come on, let that sink in. Let it go down in your bones. You need to hear that. God who works in you. To will. He's changing the very nature of who you are on the inside. We talk a lot about our mind. We talk about a lot about decisions. Some of you in here are wired to make decisions in your intellect. That's where you stay. In your soul, that's where you're hanging out is what can I perceive? Others, we talk to you about your emotions. That both your mind and your emotions, they make a great servant and a terrible master. When your emotions dominate you. When your intellect dominates you. But you know what we often don't talk about? Just the will to do something. I was a school teacher for long enough and I used to say it this way. I was like, I would go in there and when I would talk to new teachers, when I would get asked to help teachers... I would say that I would walk into a classroom and impose my will upon the students. Sounds very, very militant, right? In other words, I am the adult that's in this room and I promise you that I will be in control every minute of this time. I didn't let them have a choice. I had something in my will that just said, this is going to be what's happening. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen today. And, and they, would, they would yield to that because I don't think it was my intellect. It wasn't my emotions. It was my will that actually changed the atmosphere in that room. You know what happens? is when God, who works in you to will. Sometimes we're trying to fight the battles in our mind way too much. Sometimes you're trying to fight your battles, the ones that that didn't apply to. You're trying to fight your battles in your emotions. You know what? 
God is going to cause you to will. Amen. <laughs> He's got iron down in your bones. You're going to just say, I will do this. Don't ask me how. I can't tell you how. I can't tell you intellectually all the steps in doing this. I don't even feel it right now. My emotions are offline. Sorry, don't know where they went. But right now, I'm going to will this thing. And as a church, we are a church who's building and watching God in you work to will and to do according, I'm sorry, and to act according to his good purpose. This is what we do. He wills it in us. He helps and shapes our will. And then we do. He puts the iron down in our bones. And then we are able to reach out and hold things that no other human being, when they look at us, they're like, how is Gabriel Arius going to do that? It's because he's got iron down on the inside of him. That God has worked in him to will. He's going to will it to be the right thing. We're not going to be people who are ruled only with our minds or our emotions. We're going to be ruled by the Spirit, have our will injected with the iron from heaven, and we are going to do and act according to His good purpose. Amen. We're coming to a place where we're going to bring this message to a close. We're not quite there. We have one more scripture. We want to finish where we started. And I want to challenge a couple things as we do this. Very often we view the Lord as needing to sculpt our lives. That what he is doing is he's looking at you as a block of wood and he's eliminating what is superfluous until we get all the way down to just what is the Lord. And that that may be an, an excellent analogy. I've used it many times. I understand it that way many times. But the problem with that is you don't ever add anything to that block of wood. All you're ever doing is you're removing things that you don't think belong. If our Christian life becomes, the Lord is removing from me this, He's removing from me that, then the Lord becomes the great taker in your life. The truth is, He is not removing. He is adding. I want you to hear this Hebrews 13, 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, Equip you with everything good. Is that an addition or a subtraction? Addition. For doing His will. See, that's, that's additional work. That's additional good things. And may He work in us what is pleasing to Him. That is an addition. God is not just removing things from your life that He's unpleased with. He is using pleasant and unpleasant things to work into your life. Things that He wants to be there. Oh, man, if you could view God as the great, loving, benevolent Father that is always adding to your life. He's adding strength to your life. He's adding capability to your life. He's adding maturity and perseverance to your life. Then you won't resent the process. Here is the thing that the pastors have learned this week. Your pastors love God's order. How could we not? We serve the God of peace. We believe in His plan. How could we not? He's had it for an eternity written in the blood of Christ. We have hope-inspired trust. How could we not? The linchpin of our faith is about bringing a man back from the dead. In what situation are we beyond hope? In what situation are we beyond trust if He brings people back from the dead? We trust in His leadership. Why? Because he is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's led me this far. He'll continue to lead me. 
We are confident of His preparation. Why can we say that? He's equipping us with every good thing. We can see it. When we need it, He works it into us. We can see it. We are achieving God's purpose for our life. We're not straining for it. We're not hoping one day we find it. The pastors are achieving it. We can look behind us and see that it is happening. You know what's exciting about that? It only came from doing His will. When we define our life as we need to not do that, it's sin, not do this, not do that. No, 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 no. We need to start letting Him work into us what needs to be there. We need to start doing the will that He's shown us to do. Our lives are supposed to be active. They're supposed to be in action, moving, not passive. Your pastors know that He is working into our very bones what is pleasing to Him. We just gave you a midrash that went from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible of how He has always worked like this. Now this is what is happening in your pastor's lives. The question is, what's happening in your life? Is He working into you what should be there? Is He at work in your life? Can you say, God is at work in me? And is He accomplishing what He wants with little or no resistance from you? You're going to have resistance everywhere, but you ought not be resisting God's working. Oh, saints, do we need to make adjustments in our lives? Do we need to look at the adversity that we're facing as an opportunity instead of a disastrous, torturous problem? Do we need to look at our brother and sister around us as a beautiful refining tool that God is using to work something in us instead of a thorn or a briar? What do you need to do? We as pastors, we know that we have to take a new responsibility for what God is working in us. Every time we see a broken place, we don't want to hide it anymore. We don't want to cover it anymore. We don't want to protect it. We want to go, oh, Lord, thank you. You've shown me another place in the wall. What brick needs to be worked into that spot? What one of your attributes needs to be put right there? Lord, let the world know because my brother might have it and I don't. Lord, let everyone know because perhaps in the next service someone will help me fill that gap. Oh, stand to your feet. Let's invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to show us how to work iron into our bones. You should be an unbreakable people. An unbreakable.